Before we start our sermon, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as this message is presented, we ask that ears be opened by your spirit, that you direct the words said and the words heard, that all may be to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. That is the uh, Southern, University, Southern Adventist University Church Children's Choir. Um, and as a disclaimer, my, son, my grandson is in the middle of that front row. But all of us have seen children in a concert or in a program up front. They wiggle, they squirm, they look around, they check who's there. They're doing everything or anything about following their leader who's standing right in front. And the little song they did did have actions. When they did it in a later service, they were able to be a bit more focused and they had their actions in. You could see a few making um, motions, but with so much of the other going on, sometimes you miss that. We think it's cute when they get up there and they squirm and they wiggle and someone is singing way too loud and um, distracted looking around. When it happens to an adult choir, we don't think it's quite so funny when that happens. Today we're going to consider our director, Jesus Christ, as we sing in that choir of life. Some Christians are like the children in the choir. They're busy squirming, looking at each other, at the audience, instead of at their choir director. The scripture that Shannara read for us today um, is on the screen, but before we look at that piece, let's consider the context that this is written in. At the beginning of chapter 1 of John, seven of Jesus' disciples had come together. When Peter announced, I'm going fishing, the others agreed that they would go fishing as well. Sometimes when things are not going the way we want, when things are upset, we usually turn to something that's comfortable to us. Sometimes it's pretty ordinary like fishing, something pretty safe. Other times people turn to bad habits like smoking or alcohol when things are not going very good for them. The others decided they would accompany accompany Peter on his fishing trip. Jesus had been crucified, buried, He had arisen, and he'd appeared twice at this point. Imagine imagine the disciples were feeling that loss of Jesus, their companion and Lord, for the past three and a half years. They had a future built on him. Now what were they to do? Peter chose chose to do what he was used to doing and brought comfort, and the others followed. After an unsuccessful night of fishing, they all headed to shore, where a man on the shore asked if they had caught anything. The negative reply caused the stranger to counsel him, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will get a catch. 
So they cast. No argument this time. If we read an earlier time when this happened, there was some argument. No argument. And they caught a multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he put on his garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw the coals there, and the fish laid on the bread. Oops. They saw the fish and the bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. With breakfast finished, Jesus asked Peter three times, Do you love me? And three times Peter responds positively, You know I love you. The third time Jesus asked, Peter was rather grieved. Having his own guilt and then having it compounded by having to make this public declaration. Three times people had had denied the Lord and now he had to confirm three times that he indeed loved the Lord. At this point, Peter reassures, sorry, at this point, Jesus reassures Peter that he still has a role and a future in the Lord's kingdom. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old and stretch out your hands, another will gird and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying the death with which he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. I'm sure Peter's mind raced back to the first time Jesus said, follow me. Three and a half years previously, how much had changed. He was one of the first to be chosen as part of those 12 men of this new teacher a teacher who was rapidly gaining popularity. And now there was still a place for him. He had not lost it all by his shameful behavior. But Peter, ever the one to press on, to take his eyes off the Lord, asks what we so often do. In John 21, 20 and 21, we read, Then Peter turned around. He took his eyes off Jesus. He went in a different direction. He turned around and seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, who is it? Who is the one who will betray you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? The one whom Jesus loved is generally felt to be John. He was among the first called and part of that inner circle of disciples, just like Peter. But there was that other history 
of James and John brothers asking for special places in the kingdom, that new kingdom that was to be set up. Didn't that result in a lot of contention and stress between the disciples when that request was made? And then Sunday, after that faithful Friday, we read of a race to the tomb when they heard that the tomb was empty. In John 20, 3 to 8, we read, So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the, came to the tomb first. And stooping down, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Peter came, also came, following him, and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. What was Peter thinking now, as Jesus bids him, follow me? Did all this race through his mind? Did some of the ways of the old Peter return? Was there still a sense of competition between him and this other disciple? If I get this, what is he getting? What's going to happen to John? As was the case with Jesus in a lot of his um, discourse, he answered Peter's question with a question. In John 21:22, we read, Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. What is that to you? Follow me. Peter, keep your eyes on me. That is not your concern. John adds for greater emphasis in verse 23, Then the saying went around among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say that he would not die, but if he remained till I come... What is that to you? Often in Christian circles, as in word circles, people's words get taken out of context and out of, out of place, and we extrapolate sometimes because we want to know. At this point in history, Jesus had come once, and they knew that second coming was going to be soon. Soon is a relative term. And maybe they were indeed, as they said this over and over, hoping that, well, Jesus will be back before John leaves this earth. But Jesus didn't say that. He was making a point. What happens to him doesn't determine your role for me, Peter. Sometimes we're distracted by what others are doing. We think God's plan for his life or her life is better than his plan for mine. But God's plan for each of us is the same. Follow me. Follow Jesus. When we watch him intently, we're not distracted by God's plan for somebody else. This is a little, little poem um, by Fraser that appears in the Our Daily Bread, a, a devotional book that's put out. My times are in my Father's hand. 
How could I wish or ask for more? For he who, is my, who has my pathway planned will guide me till my journey's o'er. Wonderful thought. When our eyes are on Jesus and we realize that he has a plan for each and every one of his children, we have a special place in his plan. We see him asking us, what is that to you? Follow me. We are not to question God's plan for the other person or to become upset when we feel that we have not been given a suitable role to our station. He knows us better than we know ourselves and has made our need and will make our need and our path sure if we will let it happen. So often we ask, why did she get that office? Or how come he's allowed to do that? Listen to what Jesus says. What is that to you? Follow me. Oswald Chambers, some of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers, um, his daily devotional book or maybe other of his writings. But he often repeats our need for an unconscious connection to God. He says that, quote, most of us live only within the level of consciousness, consciously serving and consciously devoted to God. This shows immaturity in the fact that we are not really living the real Christian life. Maturity is produced in the life of the child of God on the unconscious level until we become so totally surrendered to to God that we are not even aware of being used by him. End of the quote. Our part is to to maintain a right relationship with our God so that we can work He can work through us to bless somebody else. In Matthew 25, 31 to 46, the parable of the sheep and the goats, we hear the righteous repeatedly ask, when did we see you in trouble? When did we see you in prison? When did we do this for you? A level is reached where all awareness of ourselves and of what God is doing through us is completely eliminated. A saint is never a saint consciously. A saint saint is consciously dependent upon God. Peter had just heard how, sorry, some powerful news from Jesus. You will die painfully. His first thought was comparison. What about this man? What will be his fate? That's what we tend to do, compare. We crave to know how we stack up against others. And that is usually done in order to build us up. Jesus' words, what is that to you, follow me, are sweet. We don't need to compare ourselves to anybody else. Jesus warned about judging. Is not comparing ourselves to another person and deciding if we are worth more or less than they are? Is that not judging? What is that to you? It's none of our business. He does not judge us by how we stack up to somebody else, how well we sing or preach or teach. It doesn't matter if we get the praise or the recognition for a job accomplished or the best positions 
or the role we want. In 1 Corinthians 4, 5, we read, Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Follow me. We are free to be ourselves in him and the role he's chosen for us. Follow me, he said. We are to keep our eyes front and center, following him, learning to walk in freedom with Christ. In Ellen White's vision of the trip to the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly travelers who kept their eyes ahead and on Jesus, the light that was ahead and leading them, were safe. To look elsewhere meant falling off that path. To look at others, to look down, meant you weren't safe. They weren't safe. It was when Peter took his eyes off Christ that he sunk beneath the waves. His initial faith had buoyed him up. But when he looked behind and saw the storm, he sunk. One author wrote, To love is to stop comparing. Peter wrote to his converts in 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful servants, stewards of God's grace in various forms. Sorry. No need to worry about the other people. Love. Use your gift and serve others as faithful servants of God's grace. Follow me. If we look at John through 1 John, 2nd, 3rd John, we'll see a similar message of love. John really emphasizes the importance of that love, that love that gives more than it receives which came out to this, this week in our Sabbath school lesson. Christ had bid those early disciples to follow him, and he repeated that along the way. In Matthew sixteen twenty four, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Some years later, as a church leader and builder, Peter wrote, In 1 Peter 2, 1 and 11, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Peter had firsthand knowledge of that. He saw how that envy, that striving, almost destroy, destroyed that band of 12 disciples. And even towards the end, they were still striving for who would be the best, the first. When we think or ask, what about him? We can harbor malice and hypocrisy. 
comparisons and envy can only hurt us and others. The sense of unity is certainly upset and cannot exist when there is that competition. As Jesus counseled Peter in Luke 22:32, But I have prayed for you, Simon, so that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Our stumble, stumbles, our falls, our recognition of our own sinfulness and cold heart that we too often ask, what about him, can lead to, those can lead to repentance. And when we have turned back, we are to follow him. We can strengthen our brothers and sisters unless we follow him and keep our eyes straight ahead towards the cross and the price we are lost. In, in Peter, 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter knew that the, the devil, Satan, was going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And Peter too often had fallen into that, that trap. To Peter 1, 10 and 11 says, Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. You have received words from Christ. He has called each one of us. If we keep our eyes there, we're sure, and our entrance into the kingdom is guaranteed. Peter had learned the lesson that Christ was teaching. Follow me, he said. Stay true to whatever you have been taught. In Peter 3.15, he said, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is within you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Are you able to give someone a reason why you're a Christian? Or, or maybe more specifically, why you're an Adventist Christian? Think about it. What answer would you give? Is our answer based on Christ and him alone? Or we, do we have ourselves in a different direction? Peter knew the reason for the hope that was within him. He was true to his calling and made his election sure. We started out today talking about the example of a choir, a children's choir with their eyes in every direction. Each member is to be in a mature choir, keeping their eyes on our director, the conductor. Each has a role to play in Christ, checking out our fellow members or the audience, our eyes are somewhere else and cause us to lose our way. Distraction, Peter was well aware of that problem and through experience had learned through God's grace to have an answer to the question, what is that to you? To point them in a different direction and follow the divine command, follow me. A little story, when Pastor Lee was here, 
there was a time that, I, that I'd never felt quite like before and said something to Pastor Lee. I was dissatisfied with some decisions of the nominating committee. And I had said enough to him that he knew what I was upset. He didn't say exactly, what is that to you? But in essence, he did. And it was the first time I ever got that feeling, wow, <laughs> you are going in the wrong direction. I found that it was one of those turning points that yes, it isn't in God's hands. Nothing within the church decisions belong solely to me, except to keep my eyes ahead, to look at as God has led, and to move in that direction. It changed how I looked at a lot of things. And sometimes it takes that almost tough love type of saying to someone, saying to you. And obviously I was ready at that point. For some people, it takes them many years after somebody saying, get over it. You know, they didn't mean anything by it, but they hang on, they hold it on, and it sometimes takes them away from the church, and sometimes, unfortunately, away from God as well for a long time until they can come to grips with that. Toward the end, towards the end of Peter's life, he wrote a second letter. It is thought that shortly after that time he was martyred. In Second Peter 1, 13 to 15, he wrote, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, by which he meant his body, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ had made clear to me. So he knew what was ahead. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. He remembered those things. We know what's ahead for us. The Lord has laid it out in scripture. All the fine details we don't know, but there's enough there to know that we need to keep our eyes upon him. May we take it to heart. At this time with technology, we know the often the end result of distracted driving, something that has been in the media a lot, mostly because of texting. People decide they're going to, you know, it's just, it's just a second. It won't hurt. It won't hurt. We know the end result. In our spiritual life, maybe our distracting with thinking of other people and going in the wrong direction is certainly just as costly to our eternal lives. Let us keep our eyes on Jesus and live by those words that he has given us to live by. Thank you.